can't help it. I ball like a Celtic. I can't help it. Nah, I can't help it. Nah, I can't help it. I ball like a Celtic. I can't help it. I ball like a Celtic. All right, Celtics fans, we are back to another episode of Boston Celtics Game Day Recap. I'm your host, Guy DiPlacido, and we are joined by friend of the pod, Andy Vernon. Andy, welcome. Yeah, hey, Guy. Thanks a lot for having me. Absolutely. Celtics defeat the Bucks 122-114 in one of the best games of the season. Uh, and we're going to start today's podcast off same as usual. want to go through player of the game. I'll go through some of the positives of today. Uh, some of the negatives weren't a lot of those for once, so very happy about that. Uh, and then me and Andy are going to break down the trade deadline signings here. But to kick things off, I'll send it over to you here, Andy, uh, for player of the game. Who do you got? Uh, I have Jason Tatum. Uh, I think, you know, 34 points, and he did it pretty efficiently, you know, fairly efficiently. He was He looked good out there. The big thing to me is Tatum has really stepped up as a facilitator with Hayward gone. Um, and we saw that he had seven assists in the game. He actually, you know, he led the Celtics in assists. And that was a big part. You know, one of the things that looked great about this team was the ball was moving. Guys were getting good looks. You know, it was hard for the Bucks defense to track us because of the way the ball moved. And Tatum wasn't just, you know, uh, you know like a primary scorer. He was also the guy who was primarily involved in moving that ball. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And honestly, it was his points tonight are just different it seemed different from the rest of the season like he was getting into the lane a lot more uh still didn't get to the free throw line a ton only four of four uh but was making tougher shots in the paint so that to me is just huge like we need him to be more aggressive i think uh obviously he's gonna do his thing from three but you know a large majority of his points were you know pretty tough takes to the rim which, you know, for me, again, is what we need from him consistently. You know, I, I agree, you know, and, you know, when we think about Tatum, you know, I know when I first started thinking of Jason Tatum as a superstar or a potential superstar was that dunk he had on LeBron in seventeen eighteen, And so I oh, agree yeah. with you, you know, and he was getting into the paint more. That is what we need to see. We need to see that Tatum that dunked on LeBron. And we yep. need to see that every game. Yeah, and he, he had one tonight. Uh, I forget who he I forget who he posted, but I mean he had, he just had a couple of great great drives. He had one like unbelievable Euro step, like finished left handed layup off off foot. So it's just like he had a couple plays tonight that you know you see his potential. We just need him to build on that. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Jason Tatum tonight played unbelievable. As far as like. As far as my player of the game, I'm kind of going back and forth here. And I want to say Marcus Smart because he's gotten a ton of shit through the last you know, week or so since he's been back. And some of it deservedly so. I mean, he's had a, a rough shooting night. But I think tonight my player of the game needs to go to Time Lord. And tonight was his first start. Obviously, we got rid of Daniel Tice. We traded him away, which we'll talk about. So this was the first start for Robert Williams and didn't do a ton as far as points, but he did everything else tonight. Ended the night seven points, nine rebounds, three offensive, six assists, two steals, and five blocks. So we talked about rim protection all season long as being kind of a problem for the Celtics. And we're facing a pretty good team in the Milwaukee Bucks. 
one of the hottest teams in the NBA, and he put on a show. So this, to me, was one of his best best games. And he didn't put up a ton of points, but he is just impacting the game left and right. So just a really fun, fun game to watch from him. Yeah, I'd agree. I was actually really happy um, with watching, you know, with, with how he took that kind of first start. I don't know if this is the first start of his career or the first start of the, of the season. I think it's his career. First I, start. I think it is too, yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and, you know, I didn't expect him to put up a lot of points because he's primarily, you know, he doesn't really have an outside shot. We've seen him with a jumper like a couple of times, so he doesn't really have one. And yeah. Brook Lopez is a good defender in the paint, so I didn't really – you know, see him putting up a ton of points in this game. I think the thing to me, too, was the six assists. I mean, like, we talk about what we missed with Al Horford when Horford left. It was that ability to make plays from the center position. Yeah. And if Time Lord can kind of build off of this and become a facilitator, like, he doesn't need to have six assists every game. But if he could have three or four, that's huge for this team. And that's something that we've been missing since Horford left. And the nice thing with Time Lord is he's been raised in the Boston system. So, you know, with the emphasis that we put on passing out of the post and passing from the five spot, you know, hopefully this is a trend that we can see him build on because it's something he's been learning throughout his NBA career. Yeah, and one of the one of the things that sticks out to me too about him and his passing ability, like if you watch any of the other games too, and I know you do. For the majority of the time, like he's still ending up around three, four assists, and that's when he was averaging like 18, 19 minutes a game. So, like, it's not, again, it's not every single game, but he has a lot of games where he's up there in assists. Like, he's just, a, he's a good passing big. And again, like, like you said, it, it really hasn't happened since Horford. Daniel Tice was okay, but I wouldn't put him on the passing ability is Time Lord. He did a lot of other things really, really well, and I will miss him. But from a passing ability, like Time Lord is, he just looked good. He looked really good. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that's something, you know, I'm looking to see if we can keep building on that. And I think putting somebody else in there who passes, even if it's only three or four assists per game, that just goes a long ways towards fixing the ball movement that we struggled with you know, throughout the season, you know, like people think, you know, like I've been an advocate that we need a floor general, but if we can't get a floor general at the point guard, then when you add in these guys who get those two, three, four assists each game, and if Tatum's getting five to seven, Brown's getting four to five, all of that kind of adds up to that ball move, ball, ball movement, ball, you know, ball flowing, open shots, all of that. And I think that that's, you know, I think that that's kind of your second best solution to getting a floor general point guard spot, which, you know, with the trade deadline pass, we're obviously not going to do now. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, you said it too. I mean, if you look at the lineup today, Tatum 7, Time Lord 6, Kemba 5, Smart 3, Grant 3, Jalen 2. Like, up and down, we had really solid assist numbers for from the entire team. Uh-huh. So, it is. It's good. I mean, if you can get guys that are – putting up two, three assists a game, and then having a guy like, again, it's probably not going to be Time Lord every night that's up there in the assist column. But, I mean, if you can have nights like this, 27, 26 assists a game seems to be that magic number for the Celtics team. So it's it's just good to see. It's good to see. The other guy that 
played really well tonight. And again, I was debating on putting him as my player of the game was Marcus Smart. And we kind of, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but I mean, he's one of the streakiest shooters on the Celtics, but tonight he was hitting on all cylinders from three, seven of 10 tonight, uh, eight rebounds, three assists, a steal, a block in 23 points. What are your thoughts on him tonight? I thought, I thought smart looked good. I mean, the thing with smart, when he's on, he's on, um, when he's not, he's not. But I think, you know, with, with Smart, you know, you kind of have to take that. I don't think you, you know, I don't think he's the type of player, you know, he's a very emotional player. That's, I think, what we've seen about Marcus Smart throughout his career. You know, it's the emotional, you know, side of him that makes him go and dive on the court and, you know, make those crazy plays, you know, that nobody else can make. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the good side to Marcus Smart. That's what makes him so good. That what's That's what made him an all-NBA defender. Um, you know, the bad side is the bad shot selection and the fact that when he loses his temper, he's going to go and try to fight with people and get himself thrown out of the game. <laughs> yep. But I think with Smart, he's one of those players you just you kind of have to take the good or the bad with the good or the good with the bad. Um, you can't count on him for points, but when he has a night like this and he's on, you know, that's great. And the thing to me about Smart is he's also a guy you could send after whoever's on on the opposing team is getting hot. So like if holiday starts to get hot, they can put smart on him and slow him down. Yeah. If DiVincenzo gets hot, they can put smart on him. He's very versatile. He can move around a lot. Um, you know, and, and you know, when he's, when he's shooting like that, it's, it's really nice. You know, it's a really nice addition to the Celtics offense. And, you know, when he's not hot, that's, you know, why we brought in somebody like Fournier to, you know, hopefully get some of those shots from him and yeah. convert them at a higher rate. Yeah, and you talked about it too. I mean, defensively, he just brings a different level of intensity that, like, you you just you don't see a lot in the NBA. Like, he is just a special defender, and you saw him tonight literally guard one through five. Yep. Like there were there were parts where he was like on on Lopez, which to me is still silly. Like he's just got he is a third of Lopez's size, but like honestly, on Giannis. He had a couple plays that were unbelievable. Like he's forcing fadeaway like mid ranges from Giannis. Like again, shots that he hit a couple of them, but shots that the Celtics are perfectly okay with Giannis taking. Right. So right. I, I mean, again, Giannis Giannis is gonna get his. Like he's gonna score his points, and we actually held him pretty low tonight, only sixteen. But like we're forcing him to take very like tough shots. Yeah, no, definitely. The thing I like about Smart, you know, he was a football player. You can kind of see that in his build. He's got, you know, he's very, you know, he has a lower center in mass. He has a very strong core. And I think that makes a lot of the bigger guys like Giannis, they kind of underestimate him. Yeah. And they think, you know, oh, he's, you know, he's a lot, you know, he's six, I think, what is Smart, six, four or something like that? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I think six, it's four, six, four. Five, maybe. And, yeah. and, you know, they underestimate him because they're so much bigger. And then when you go, you know, go try to post him up, you find out that he's, you know, it's kind of like a brick wall because <laughs> he's got that low core and he knows how to set his weight low and he's not easy to move. Yeah. And when you, when you figure that out as you're trying to post him up, now all of a sudden the shot clock's ticking away. He's good with his positioning. So it's hard for you to turn and get a step on him. And so that's where you see him forcing these big guys to take these fadeaway shots. And like you said, you know, I'm I'm fine if if we lose a game because Giannis is hitting 
you know, fadeaways, then you know what? We're you know we're going to lose the game. That's fine. Same way, like if Giannis is going to kill us and you know beat us with three point shots, okay. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh-huh. And he actually hit he hit one tonight. I I almost tweeted about it too. I'm like, man, when Giannis hits threes, that's not a good sign. But the yeah, Celtics exactly. just kept but, chipping you know, at away. The same time, though, you know, defensively speaking, when you craft the defensive plan, you can't defend everything. So you, see, you know, this is what we're going to give them. If Giannis, yep. you know, if we're going to lose because Giannis is hitting every single fadeaway, then okay, you know, we're going to lose the game. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what Smart does. Is he forces opponents. He forces the opponent to take those shots that you are willing to give them. Yep. No, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. The other, the other starter that. You know, played really well tonight. Well, actually, I guess both of them did. Um, Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. I'd say Kemba kind of struggled from the field, more so specifically from three. But what we saw tonight from Kemba, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this just throughout the entire season because we haven't spoke much, um, is his ability to draw contact. And we kind of saw it tonight a lot. Like You saw him... Again, draw a foul on two different three-point attempts where he hit all six of the free throws. Uh, but then you also saw him drive into the lane, use his body really well against Lopez uh, for a couple of really tough layups. And we saw it last game against the Bucks too. So I'm curious, I guess, where what your thoughts are on Kemba, not just this game, but this season and kind of how he's progressed. Yeah, so, I, I mean, like, it was obviously a really bad start for Kemba, and, you know, I, I don't think it's a secret to a lot of people who have read me on fan forums. I'm not the biggest Kemba Walker fan out there. Um, but I do think, you know, we've seen a lot of promising developments. He really struggled coming back from that injury. You know, he looked a lot more tentative. It was obvious that he kind of lost his shot, especially from beyond the arc. Um but we've seen him start to round into form a lot more and that's encouraging. And, you know, seeing him going in there and finishing in the paint, that's something that's really, you know, it's something that's really good for Boston because that's something we need. We need it from a lot of our players, but we need it especially from the guys like Walker because of the fact that he's been in the NBA for a longer time. And it's, you know, it's a known fact in the, that in the NBA, the officials give a certain amount of, I wouldn't say preference, but they do kind of give a certain level of preference to the guys who are established veterans and all-stars. And Kemba is that guy on Boston. He's been around long enough. He's going to get some of those calls that they might not give to a guy like Peyton Pritchard. Right. Yeah. No, agreed. Um, And I like seeing him go into the paint. You know, I, I was concerned about that this year because Looking at Walker over his career, he usually had about a fourth of his shots come right around the basket. So we look at like 24, 25% of his shots over his career come around the, bo- the basket. And this year, he was actually under 10%. And I think a lot of that is that injury. Um, you know, that's not unreasonable because when you're coming back from an injury with your hip or your knee, especially when you're a smaller guard, you're a little bit more hesitant to go in there and try to finish, you know, among the trees because, you know, you're kind of worried, you know, can I trust my leg if I get hit? You know, is it going to give out on me? Am I going to re-injure myself? I think we're seeing him start to get more confidence in finishing inside. And that's something that we really need because we need him to get those fouls, not just to get us the free throws, but also to make the opposing centers, you know, step back a little bit. And, you know, because if, if it's the first quarter, those first two to three minutes, the opposing center gets a quick foul because Walker goes into the basket. Now they can't be as aggressive when they go to contest, you know, Brown or Tatum 
Um, they have to be a little bit more careful. And I think that as he gets more confidence, I see, I think we'll see Walker finish in the paint more. And I think that's only going to help Boston's offense. Um, the one thing I would like to see from Walker and I think could really elevate this team significantly would be if he gets good at doing driving kicks. So when he drives in there, the defense collapses and he finds a way to kick the ball out to, you know, Tatum, yeah. Fournier or uh, Brown and get an open three or, or, you know, a pretty open three point shot. I think that would go a long way for Boston. I think that could make a significant difference this season. Yeah, the Bucks actually did a, a pretty good job of defending that because I, I like I know exactly what you're talking. Like he drives down under the lane, under the hoop. He usually tries to kick it out. The Bucks did a pretty good job of kind of cutting off yeah. that passing lane tonight towards the corner three. Uh, and it's something like again, you're you're right. If he can make that and add that into his bag of tricks. Like, it's just, it is a completely different Kemba. But I've been saying it all season long. Like, this Celtics team, no matter what run we do, like, whether it's a first round, second round, Eastern Conference Finals, whatever it is, like, a lot of it's going to be on the back of Kemba Walker. And I'm not saying that he's going to carry us there, but the Celtics are only going to go as far as Kemba Uh is able to bring us. So, yeah. it, I, and I'm saying that unfortunately, like I, I don't, I don't like that. That's the case. But like when you're paying a guy as much money as we are, the thirty-four million dollars, like you need him to perform. Like you can't have, and I've talked about this. Like four, you can't have four-point games, ten-point games on horrible shooting stats. So it, it's it's a tough situation. But if he can continue, kind of on the path that he's doing and contribute eighteen points a game. I'd say that's probably my sweet spot, especially with Fournier stepping in. Like, this team is just different. Like, it is a different team. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, if his effic- I think his efficiency needs to go up a little bit more. I'd like to see him closer to, like, the 50% effective field goal percentage area. But yeah. I think that that, you know, I think that's relatively realistic. You know, I see, you know if he starts going in and finishing – around the basket more, around the rim more. Yeah. I think we'll start to see that uh, field goal percentage go up quite a bit. Because I think some of it is he's kind of settled for bad shots, you know, maybe less confidence in the, in the leg, like I was saying. Um, and I think that as he gets that more confidence, he's finishing in closer to the rim. I think that he'll start to, first of all, get a higher field goal percentage because he's in the paint. And then second of all, I think he'll start to get better looks on his jumpers because – you know, they'll have to defend him differently if he's being more aggressive about driving in. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I'll say this, like, as far as today's game goes, the thing that I'm happiest about is the fact that we kept all of our starters, or all of our players, I guess I can say, under 35 minutes. Which, against a team like the Bucks, is huge. And what we obviously have a back to back. We're playing the Thunder tomorrow, which again, they're not a they're not a rollover team. They're not great by any means, but they're not a team that's just gonna give up. Like they're full of a bunch of young guys. They're gonna hustle, they're gonna run. So having all of our guys fairly rested, again, not many of them played big minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, like that's a that's a huge win for the Celtics team. Like a huge win. Yes. Um, so I'm curious. Obviously, we got to see Mo, uh, Mo Wagner tonight. Uh, couple, couple good plays. Uh, 
Uh, had a couple of really horrible turnovers. Uh, I guess first first thoughts. Obviously, it's not a huge sample size, only 10 minutes. But first thoughts from Wagner for you. I mean, I think he's a develop. You know, he's a kid. I mean, I don't see him being a big minute player. I mean, I think we'll see him kind of like we see him, t- you know, saw him tonight in garbage time. You know, yeah. Um, may do some time down in the G League, but the one thing I will say is, since we lost Tice, we did need to bring in somebody who could play at the center position in space. And Mo Wagner can space the floor. He does have a three point shot. Um, obviously still very developmental and very raw, but I think the Celtics see him probably as somebody that they, you know, at least have a chance of potentially developing down the road. Um, I don't think that they see him as being, you know, like a center of the future or anything like that. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You know, hey, you know, we, we got him in return for Tice, you know, so at least, you know, we got something in return for Tice. And he's a guy who maybe, you know, in a year or two, he could contribute a few points off the bench and, you know, give us some rotational minutes yeah. when we need them. Um, which is really kind of how he profiled for me. I mean, I don't think he's ever going to be in the center by any means. I think his ceiling's probably kind of similar to where Tice was. You know, really a guy who, you know, his ceiling's probably like a bench player who can maybe do, you know, like 15 to 20 minutes per night um, without the defense that kept Tyson games for longer. Yeah, I mean, realistically, and, and I've talked about this too, like I don't, I don't think Wagner's a guy that's going to get more than 15 on most nights. I mean, tonight's obviously just a different story. Like we didn't have Thompson, uh, which obviously put the depth chart at like zero. The fact that we had Taco Fall playing in the first quarter is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's, again, it's not something that I really see happening a bunch. And especially, like, moving forward, once we have, you know, Tristan Thompson back, like, that, the double big lineup is gone forever in my yes. eyes. Like, I just, Brad Stevens was talking about getting rid of the double big lineup when Marcus Smart got back. And then we just added Evan Fournier to the mix as well. So like I don't think that I don't think there's any turning back on that. So no, I hope not. <laughs> I, I hope not too, especially with with guy like Tice no longer here. So um but yeah, I mean overall this was this really was. It was one of the best games the Celtics have played this year. Uh eight point win on the Bucks. It was a much higher lead than that. Uh, obviously we saw the fourth quarter kind of slip away. Uh, but again, that's garbage time minutes. It's with a lot of our bench. Like we got Neesmith some minutes. We got Bogner some minutes. Uh, and we got Carson a couple minutes. So overall, I'm, I'm tracking this up as a huge victory. We saw 22 three pointers made today. Uh, but I do want to, I do want to switch gears a little bit here and talk about some of the, you know, trade deadline acquisitions, and kind of your thoughts on where the rest of the season goes. Uh, but before we do that, I want to take a quick break uh, for a word from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. All right, guys. Time for a new favorite sponsor alert. Venture Greens Nutrition. Venture Greens Nutrition is changing the nutrition game forever. They offer one-on-one coaching where they build macro-based diets to get you moving in the right direction. As great as the coaching is, what I love most about Venture Green Nutrition is their line of CBD products. They have tinctures, salves, beard care, and gear, and the best part is 
all Venture Greens Nutrition's products are formulated and manufactured in their own facilities in the United States. Check them out at VentureGreensNutrition.com. Use code CelticsTake15, that's CelticsTake15, for 15% off. You won't regret it. All right, Celtics fans, we're back. Want to talk through some of the trade deadline acquisitions. Want to get started with Evan Fournier. Uh, Andy, I'll kick it over to you here. I know you've got some thoughts and excited to dive into this one. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I'm really happy with Fournier signing. I think this is kind of exactly um, the type of player that we were realistically looking for with the uh, TPE. And I think we basically, I mean, it was basically a steal. We got him for nothing. We gave, we gave two throwaway second round picks that, you know, generally mean nothing anyway. So I, I think that, you know, I know there's a lot of concern around, amongst fans that Fournier will leave in the off season because he's going to, you know, he's going to be a free agent this off season. But I think a lot of fans are missing, you know, the, the, the point that when a team goes and makes a trade like this, you know, the Celtics are talking to the player. They're talking to his agent. One of those discussions is going to be about, you know, long-term plans. Yeah. Um, so I don't think, you know, I don't think Danny Ainge, with his experience in the NBA as a player and a, in the front office, he didn't just say, you know, like, oh, you know, yeah, we're going to go get Fournier and never talk to the guy and just, you know, give him a call. Like, oh, by the way, we just traded for you. Welcome to Boston. Yeah. Um, there was obviously there was more in-depth discussion with Fournier and his agent, and there was pre- there's probably been something worked out where Fournier is, you know, at least said he'll give Boston some sort of preferential consideration going into the offseason. Um, so I think that that's something I'm not as concerned about that. And even if Fournier does want, you know, like, what, what did we lose? We lost two second-round picks. And Can't forget team, about Jeff Teague. Well, yeah, Jeff, that's right. We did send Jeff Teague out. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. Um, I'm not too upset about that one, though. So you're not going to yeah, catch I'm me not, crying. I'm not going to shed tears over that. There's a reason I forgot about it. Let yep. me put it that way. <laughs> but um, you know, and I think that you know, when we say like, oh, we could have waited to the off season, we could have found somebody better. I mean. Yeah, you know, we could, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could wait for the off season, and you know, maybe somebody decides, you know, Bradley Beal decides he wants out of Washington, and he Kyrie Irving's his way out of off the Wizards, and Boston can, you know, sign him with the TPE, and all the stars align, and we win the finals next year. You know, we could also, you know, there could also be like a nuclear winter, and we don't get a season next year. So I mean. You know, I, I don't really like playing the what if game because there's so many different factors. And we say like, oh, well, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens? It's kind of going down this rabbit hole where, you know, I, there's no there's no real end to it. Yeah. In terms of what Fournier brings to the Celtics, I mean, he's a guy who's averaging almost 20 points a game. And to me, the, the key thing with him is he's doing it efficiently. I mean, his effective field goal percentage is at 56%. Um, his three-point percentage, he's just under 39%. That makes him one of the most accurate shooters on Boston. I was I was um, talking to someone about this yesterday, too. Yeah. Like, if you look at the starting lineup for the Celtics, the only starter that shoots a higher three-point percentage than him is JB. Yep. The only one. He's better than Kemba by a long shot. He's better than J, J, uh, Jason Tatum by, like, yep. one or two percent. So, like, he is. He's one of – and you brought it up, like, efficiency – is key 
Like, he's mm-hmm. not a guy that's going out and shooting 20 shots a night. Like, he's exactly. scoring 20 points off 14 shots. Exactly. And, you know, people are worried that he's not going, oh, well, where are the shots going to come from? Well, Tyson, seven shots per game right there. And then the rest of them are going coming. I think Boston could realistically get him pretty close to 14 shots per night. Yeah, no, I agree. Look at it and think about how he's going to slot into the lineup. Um, the other thing I love about Fournier is he gives us that, you know, rotational versatility. We could go back to playing, you know, JB at shooting guard, Fournier at small forward, Tatum at power forward. And we could go back to playing small, which is really how this team is designed to play. You know, people, you, know you could li- like or dislike small ball, but that's how we're designed to play. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing to me about Fournier is he plays team defense. You know, he's not an elite defender, but he's a competent defender. Um, especially with a team-based scheme. So that's something we could really use. And so now we have somebody, because the, the kind of issue with Boston has been we've been forced to choose between offense or defense. Because, you know, like, do we want defense? Okay, well, we're going to put in Grant Williams, you know, or we're going to put in Shemi. But then we kind of sacrifice offense because they don't do much for us on offense. Yeah. Poignier is a guy we can put in. He's going to contribute to us defensively, and he can contribute offensively. And that just makes us a better team. And then you also have the ancillary stats. He's averaging about 3.7 assists per game this year. And like I said, you know, when you don't have a floor general, all those guys, you know, beach guys get three, four, five assists. That adds up and gets us closer to that. I, uh, I agree with you. I think 25 to 27 assists is really where we need to be to be at our best as a team. And the thing with him too, like with all of his assists, he's doing it by driving. Like he's yeah. he's – he can step on this team today and he's automatically one of the better pick and roll players that the Celtics team has. Uh-huh. And like, that's where a lot of his assists come from. So for me, that is like one of the biggest positives of his game. Like, yes, yes. he's going to score, but like he is one of the better pick and roll players that we have. And, yeah. and you're right. I mean, when you bring in a guy like that, like it's only going to help the offense and kind of switching back to defense because you just brought that up too. Like when you have three wings that are all pretty much like six six, six eight, whatever. Jason Tatum's like seven feet tall at this point. I feel like he keeps getting taller. Yeah, he just uh, looked like he grew. <laughs> but when you have when you have three wings that are all like that size, you're right yeah. about being able to switch. And I talked to John Corrales from Locked On Celtics about this as well, but. When you're looking at the Celtics defense, it really boils down to like two massive issues in my eyes, at least. Again, some would say like perimeter. Well, I guess that's all kind of part of it, but it's where the Celtics have lacked this season has been on the effort side and it's been on transition. Like to me, those are the two biggest areas on defense that we've lacked. You can call perimeter defense a huge portion of that. But a lot of that came from just poor switches and effort on defense, in my eyes. Yes. Again, yeah. that's not something that you know Evan Fournier can fix. That's something the Celtics need to just figure out. But when you talk about transition, if you make the offense better and we score more efficiently, it eliminates transition defense from the game. So... That, that to me is just like it's a huge transition from defense on the Celtics. But I don't know. I mean, that's that's pretty much my take. I, I do think, again, he's not like a 
he's not an all-NBA type defender like Smart, but he brings you a different level of switchability in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd agree with that. And, and what I saw with our defense this year is, you know, especially when, when Smart was out, um, you know, we're running a lot of young players. We were running a lot of undersized and defensively challenged guards because yep. we basically, you know, we had Teague, we had Walker, we had Pritchard, you yep. know, and Edwards. And that, that just gets to be very exploitable because, you know, like, you know, you could h- kind of hide one player. You know, we could hide Walker on defense. That's why we have to switch every system. But, you know, if you're trying to hide two people and your center's undersized, that's where the whole thing just kind of breaks down and falls off the tracks because, you know, you, you can only hide so many people. You can hide one person. You can't hide three. Yep. And I think what Fournier does is he's a guy that you don't have to hide. So now we can put four players on the court who can all hold their own on defense, and we can hide Walker amongst those four. And I think that that's a big, you know, a big step for this team. Well, it, um, it, it also gives you the ability to just roll out two different end of game lineups. Like if you're <laughs> if you're trying to if you need to come back and you need scoring, you swap out Fournier for Smart. Right yep. now, you have Fournier, another legitimate scorer in the game that can create offense. If you're going for defense, like you need stops, that's when you can take a guy like Kemba out, and you don't need his you, like the whole reason that he's playing right now in these end of game situations, regardless, is because we need the offense. But if we can put in a guy like Fournier and have another guy that can assist, another guy that can create his own shot. You're not really giving up anything on the defensive end. Like you're you're losing a, a little bit on the offensive end. Obviously, you have Smart in instead of Kemba, but you have a guy like Fournier that really takes a lot of the pressure off the two Jays, and you can still roll out a solid defensive lineup. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I think the other thing where Fournier also helps is just he's a veteran. You know, he's a veteran presence. And, yes, our young players have, you know, they're old in playoff terms because they've been in the playoffs so much, but they're still young players. And there are some things that you – there are some things that you only learn by doing a job for years. Like, you know, you could be extremely talented. You could fast track. You know, and this, I think, goes for any profession, really. Yeah. You can fast-track because you're incredibly intelligent or gifted or well, whatever. Look at, look at Tatum and Brown. That's pretty much what they've been doing. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. But there are also some things that you just don't learn unless you've been doing the job for, you know, eight years. You know, when yeah. he's been in the league for eight years, there are some things that you just don't learn until you've been there for a certain period of time. It's experience that you get year after year. And I think that's something that's going to help um, – you know, I think that's something that could help the Celtics a lot in, you know, in a big way is to have another, you know, kind of steadying veteran presence on the team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, overall, I'm I'm thrilled about the trade. And you're right. I mean, for two second-round picks, they're not going to be great second-round picks, more than likely. They're not till 25, 27. So yeah. they're, like, way deep down there. And that's pretty much when, you know, Tatum and Brown are going to be at their peak. So I really do not see those picks being super valuable. Like we're giving up a, I don't know, maybe 50th pick of the NBA draft. So so like, is that, is that really not worth it? I mean, you're right. A lot of people are are giving the Celtics shit and Ain shit for, you know, signing a guy on an expiring contract. And, you know, that's well and fine, but like we've got his bird rights 
if for whatever reason he doesn't re-sign, like we have the ability to create another TPE. Again, I don't, I don't, I really never want to do this whole TPE thing again because it's no. <laughs> like the most stressful time ever as a Celtics yeah. fan looking at the deadline. But I mean, as far as as far as Fournier goes, I think this year, like he could be a huge help. Um, yeah. I do want to, I do want to ask you though, like we've got, we obviously made other moves. We moved Daniel Tice, who was, you know, a huge part of this Celtics team for a long time or the last couple of years. I can't say a super long time, but, uh, he just, he's going to be missed. Like he was one of the best sealers in the NBA. Mm-hmm. He was a big that could stretch the floor. The way I look at it, the Celtics more than likely were not going to be able to pay him next year. Yes. And he's just going to end up walking. Like he's probably going to command a 10 plus million dollar salary. I might be overshooting it. I might be undershooting it. That's just where I see him landing. If you look at the landscape of the NBA, like he's a big that is serviceable on defense and can hit the three. So for me, I mean, again, it's a huge loss. But looking at the rest of it, obviously we gave up Javante Green. We uh, gave up Jeff Teague. Jeff Teague and who we got rid of one other person, no? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that was everybody. Wasn't it Green, Teague, You're right, Tice. and Tice. Yep, okay. Yep. So we got rid of those three. Out of the three, I personally love Javante Green, but Tice is really the one guy you'll miss. We brought yeah. in Mo Wagner and then this Luke dude that's probably going to get waived in the next week or so yeah. with potential for buyout options. So as far as this trade, I think both of us will agree it it hurts to see Tice leave. I know we talked about this prior, um, but I'm curious, like as far as Mo Wagner goes, as far as like getting Tice into Chicago – it brings the Celtics under the tax line. What do you think that does for the mindset of, you know, a guy like Danny Ainge and a guy like Wick and ownership? Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think being under tax is important to him. I mean, I think we've had uh, Wick or uh, say before that, you know, he doesn't want to pay the luxury tax unless the team is contending. Um, I have my issues with that statement because I feel like on some level you either have to win the LeBron James lottery or you have to pay to contend because um, I I looked at teams that have won the NBA finals and the last teams that have won it, they've all been like at the 137, 137 million mark. The Um, Raptors? What's that? Were the Raptors? Yep. Raptors were at 137. The Golden State Warriors were at 137. Well, yeah, I knew I knew the Warriors were definitely there. I just wasn't. I figured the Raptors were a little bit under, but uh, they got bumped up. I think they got bumped up. Danny Green's contract was pretty large. Oh, well, um, they probably had a lot of incentives built into it too. But yes, uh, but so yeah. I mean, as far as as far as all that goes, though, I, right? Staying under the tax saves ownership probably five plus million dollars. Just because of, not just like this year, but then you look into the repeater tax next year. 
right? Yeah, so, that's what I was going to say is I think we wanted to avoid the repeater tax. And what that may mean is they may be trying to make a move. Like, so if you look at Fournier expiring this year, it's likely that Boston would try to restructure him or re-sign him for somewhere around probably a two-year deal because yeah. that seems to be what Ainge likes to do with veterans. It's probably a two-year 40. <laughs> It'll right. probably be 20, that, 20 mil a year is my guess. Exactly. And so that would probably coincide with Walker leaving or restructuring. I think Boston will try to restructure Walker after next year. Oh, or is it next year? Yeah, no, he still next. has another year after. Uh, it's a player option, though, so I think they could restructure him if he has a player option, right? Maybe. I, I, th- I th- yeah no you might be right but yeah I mean his salary is another one like if we don't do that the Celtics are in trouble because then you have Fournier's deal going up by three and then Kemba's also goes up by like two I think I think he's up to like 36 million next year yes he is although I I think I I, I believe that Ainge will you know I don't believe Walker is untouchable by any means there are a lot of rumors that Ainge tried to trade him for Jeru Holiday this year um, so I think that shows that. that he's not considered untouchable by Ainge. No, I so think, I I think I mean, like, I a lot like of people want him. This year because I feel like they want to try to keep the team. They want to try to set up for two years or three years down the road where they can make a big, a big splurge. Yeah. Um, which makes sense because of the way the Nets are structured. Yeah. Um, you know, and I don't like saying that we shouldn't try, but at the same time, it's hard to spend a lot of money when you have KD, Harden, and Kyrie in your conference. Well, it's I mean, it's hard to spend a lot of money when you are two games under 500. That, yeah, that is well. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, we're eighth um, place in the East at the time. I mean, we still are, I guess. But, you know, I mean, two games under 500 at the time, like, it's it's not easy to go into the luxury tax and spend a lot of extra money when... The team is it from the looks of it is so far from contending. So I mean yeah. I don't I don't blame them. I mean they obviously tried. Like they tried to go after Aaron Gordon. It was a valiant effort. The Nuggets offer was just too good. I'm not I'm not mad about it. If they wanted smart for it, I don't know if I am buying that deal every time anyway. Yeah, so. I'm not I wasn't convinced that trading smart for Gordon was a great idea. Um, I mean, Eric Gordon has an injury history, and he kind of has—he's kind of one—he's not the most reliable player himself. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we were going. Yeah, I don't think we were going to beat the Nuggets offer at that point, anyway. Yeah. Um, I think you know, and I also think that Ainge is also trying to keep us sort of on that fringe of competition as well this year because our record's bad. Yeah. But I think the record is worse than the team, if that makes sense. Oh, no, I, I 100% agree with that. Um, and that's and that's why, like, a lot of people are saying, that, like, oh, we're not going to make the playoffs. Like, there is zero doubt in my mind that we're not going to make the playoffs. And that was before the Fournier trade. And, again, maybe, maybe some people are going to call me a homer, and part of that is true. Like, I'm obviously here rooting for the Celtics. But, like, there's – way too much talent on the top end of this roster to not make the playoffs in yeah. my eyes. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's tough to, tough to fathom. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think we were going to make the playoffs anyway. I, and 
I mean, like I said earlier, this is a weird year. Yep. I mean, like we're playing in COVID. It's uncharted territory. We've seen teams have, you know, like whole sections taken out by COVID protocols. So, you know, and I would never want to win a championship this way. But at the same time, it's not out of the question that we get to the finals and we, you know, maybe we get lucky and we draw good matchups and then we managed to make it to the ECF where we managed, you know, managed to get to the second round and our opponent, you know, gets gut, you know, gets gutted by COVID protocols. Well, I mean, think about, think about this too. Like what happens if the Nets and the Bucks match up and it's not the Nets and the Celtics and one of them knocks the other out. Like it's just, I'm not as scared of Philly as I am of Brooklyn or the Bucks. And maybe again, that's me just thinking that Philly's gonna flop like they always do in the in the playoffs. But a lot of it is kind of riding on the back of Joel Embiid and his health. And he doesn't yeah, he doesn't exactly have a huge track record there. So I'm actually more worried about the Sixers than I am about the Bucks, to be honest. Um, and it's just because we've traditionally played well against the Bucks, like minus one year where, you know, 1819, where everything went off the rails anyway. Yeah. yeah. You know, we play well against Milwaukee. Stevens, uh, out of all the coaches, you know, he's one of those coaches who seems to have done a pretty decent job of figuring Giannis out. Yeah. Um, Philly, I think I'm a little bit more concerned about because of Doc. Yeah, um, I don't know. And that, that's kind of my concern. I, I think, though, the thing I'm, you know, the thing to me is, is you know, if you could, you know, opportunity, you know, we'd say, you're like, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't count on the other team getting injured. But at the same time, you know, opportunism is a big part of winning titles sometimes. I mean, look at the Raptors. You know, even even when they got Kawhi, I don't think anybody thought they were going to beat the Golden State Warriors who had just added to Marcus Cousins to yeah. Steph, Clay, Draymond, and yeah. But, you know, look how that season played out. You know, obviously, you never want to see a team get destroyed by injuries like that. Yeah. But at the same time, the Raptors won that title because they did enough to be there when the opportunity arose. Yeah. You know, and, and that's why, I, you know, that's why I think that, you know, bringing 28 in could be really good for Boston because this season is much less certain than any other season. And all it would take, like you said, Bucks played, Bucks played the Nets. One of them gets knocked out. We managed to make it through to face the, whichever is still standing. And, you know, say Giannis goes out or, or you know, let's say the guard rotation for the Nets gets taken out by COVID. Yep. It's a much different series. Oh, 100%. 100%. I mean, with that being said, like – I. In order for us to make a push, and again, I don't, I don't know if we're there yet. Like, I really, I, I would love to think that we are. I still think we're probably a piece away. With that being said, a lot of people are talking about the buyout market. And uh-huh. there's some rumors going around that the Celtics met with Andre Drummond. I have a feeling I know your thoughts already, but I'm going to kick it over to you because I want to I wanna hear your thoughts. I mean, is outside, if Drummond's not the guy... Do you see another potential buyout candidate that the Celtics could go after? Slash, do you think that they should and risk going over the luxury tax, which they will because they're only like nine hundred thousand under. Yeah, you know, Drummond. Drummond's a tough one for me uh, because you know, there's a part of me that like I really like watching him play. Let me put it that way, because he's big, he's physical. 
he's kind of a throwback in some ways to, you know, older centers, but more athletic, right? Yep. My problem is, and I think it boils down to how could, you know, how high are the Celtics on Time Lord? Um, if we see Time Lord as the center of the future, then I don't think we should go for Drummond at all, right? Um, because they kind of do a lot of the same things. It's not like, you know, if, you know, it's not like, say, Mo Wagner was the guy we were, you know, relying on right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could kind of say, okay, well, you could bring in Drummond because Drummond's a different dimension to the game from Wagner. But Time Lord, you know, he does a lot of the same things, out by different build, but hyper-athletic, plays primarily in the paint. I think he's a better defender than Drummond is. He has more upside defensively because he's quicker on his feet. Yeah. Um. So if the Celtics think that Time Lord's health isn't a concern to him playing starter minutes, then I think that we have to kind of roll with them. And that would mean not signing Drummond because they, you know, then you're bringing in somebody who's going to block your center of the future. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yep. Um, in terms of other buyout candidates, I'm not, I, I think what, J.J. Redick hit the buyout market, I think. Hmm. I didn't hear that yet. The other name that I heard I was Gorju Dang. He was the other guy that I heard, which I think, as far as bio candidates, I think is definitely, okay. I think he's a better fit for the Celtics than Drummond. Again, I still don't know if it's right, but he was another guy that just got bought out or is or supposed to be getting bought out shortly. Yeah, um, I was wrong. Redick was uh, Redick was traded to the Mavericks, which is probably a good move for Dallas. But yeah. Um, the other one that is kind of interesting to me is LaMarcus Aldrich, who was, he was bought out by the Spurs. Yep. Um, obviously very much past his prime, right? Yep. You know, I don't very think, much. you know, I'm not going to delude myself into thinking that Aldridge is going to be the guy who he was, you know, what, three, four years ago, right? Yeah, no, definitely not. There are some things I like about his game because, you know, and part of it is he is, you know, he's a bigger guy. He's a physical guy down low. We all, you know, that was his game. A lot of his game was post up and being physical. And I think that, you know, like as somebody who comes in, that's something that we could use off the bench. Somebody, you know, not going to be a big role, may not play every night, but somebody that you could put in there sometimes when you need somebody who's big and physical to work on somebody like say Embiid or, you know, some of these other more old school or bigger centers and kind of tire them out, make them work, you know, kind of bang into them a little bit down low. I, I think that could actually be pretty valuable for Boston. He wasn't doing great in San Antonio, but he was still scoring 13 points a game on, you know, I think 50 something percent EFG. Um, you yeah. know, his rebounding numbers are way down. But I think that oh, just he plays further be, away from the hoop now. Yeah. Yeah, he is playing further away from the hoop. I think they were using a uh, portal or portal. I can't, I don't know how you pronounce his yeah, name. It is, but, yeah, I think it is Pertle. Yeah, Pertle. That's what it is. Yeah, the Austrian guy. That's yeah. what I <laughs> But um, I, I, think, I think that's the thing with Aldridge, though, is like he might be worth looking at out at the buyout market, not as like a big piece, but as another, you know, kind of veteran presence. 15 minutes, 10 to 20 minutes a game, depending on the matchup, depending on the situation, depending on how he plays. And that could be somebody who could, you know, kind of help the team, you know. And once again, you know, it's not somebody that we're looking for to be, you know, quote, unquote, the piece. 
but somebody who could contribute to us, you know, on a relatively regular basis and who brings yeah. a veteran presence. He has experience. He has a ton of experience in the NBA in one of the best run organizations, you know, in the sport. Yeah. I'm not going to, not going to argue that my, my whole thing is, and this is where we can kind of wrap this up, I guess, with a bow, but the way I look at the buyout market is right now we're so close to the luxury tax that if we sign anybody, like no matter who it is, veteran minimum, like we're going over the tax. And that to me, like I just – I don't know if ownership wants to. I do agree. Like I, if you're looking at a buyout candidate, I, I don't think that – I don't think that Drummond's really that guy. I think LaMarcus Aldridge would be a better fit. He kind of does give you a little bit of a stretch opportunity. Gorju Dang is probably the – the one that I would go after. Yeah. Um, but either way, like I just, I don't, I don't really think it's going to happen. I wouldn't be upset about it. Like I'm not, that's, that's pretty much my thing. It's not my money. I get it. Right. <laughs> like if they want to spend the money, if ownership wants to do it by all means, I just don't, I don't see it happening. And the way I look at it, if you're going to, if you're going to try to save the money, maybe that gives, the Celtics the opportunity to potentially go another four or five million dollars the next year, right? Yeah. Instead of the ownership just paying it into the luxury tax, putting it into zero players' pockets, they're putting it into the NBA's pockets. Like maybe next year, ownership will just pay that money anyway and potentially pony up on another player. So I don't know. It, there's there's still a lot that can happen that kind of shifts the NBA. Not a ton. Uh, but that's where I want to wrap up. I, Andy, I appreciate you hopping on, man. This has been a great podcast. Yeah, hey, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, always fun talking about Boston. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Celtics fans, make sure to follow me on Twitter at NBA Celtics Guy. Make sure to go rate, review the podcast. I uh, really appreciate it. we got another game tomorrow against the Thunder. Make sure to tune in. Have a good night, Celtics fans. I can't help it, I ball like a Celtic. I can't help it, I can't help it, I ball like a Celtic. I can't help it, I ball like a Celtic.